Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, yeah. how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT on this Monday, July the 25th of 2022. Right now, we have sunshine and 75 degrees in downtown South Bend. Our two-hour program it's going to be brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. The king of beers locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. By Pet Refuge and the ABC Clinic, South Burnett Drive in South Bend helping to fight pet overpopulation. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is the story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org and by Bowlers Country Club, inviting you to their annual corn and sausage roast this Saturday, July 30th. Lots of fun for everyone. My name is Darren Pritchett. Hope you had a wonderful weekend. We're back live with Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio. Away the last, what, three days of last week, spending a little time on the road, travel baseball, which landed us in Canton, Ohio, for some games there. Really interesting. There was a high school that we played at. It was Canton Jackson High School, and they had two players drafted, like 30 picks apart, one of the players is the Tiger catcher, Dingler. And then there was a Ball State kid, Nichols, who was drafted by Miami. And those two guys helped to lead that high school to state championships their freshman and senior years. 
So pretty amazing to have a player drafted, let alone you've got two taken in the second round. That is pretty remarkable. And they're not too far, of course, from the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. I went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2000 for the first time, went back last week, and in 22 years, it is a totally different facility. It is so much more audiovisual than it was years ago. It has been totally redone. Again, from what I saw in 2000, totally different. You go in a different door. Everything is set up a little differently. They still have that movie theater where the seats move 180 degrees to another room. And they still, of course, have all of the, the statues of the players, their heads, in one particular room, I had not been there since my all-time favorite player, John Elway, had been in, so it was really cool to see that. But if you haven't been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, they've done a really good job of improving it. I guess a way of comparing it, it's 150 times better than anything we had when the College Football Hall of Fame was in downtown South Bend. It's just extremely well done. It is clean. It's lit. It's bright and a lot of audiovisuals. So if you are a huge football fan, I'd highly recommend it. I'd forgotten they have all of the players by their class, and I'd forgotten that Jerome Bettis and Tim Brown were in the same Pro Football Hall of Fame class, and their little statues are side-by-side side in that glorious room. So great time in Canton. The Pro Football Hall of Fame was Terrific. It's 33 bucks a person. If you're a football fan, I think you'll find it worthwhile. We spent about three hours at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton. A very, very enjoyable experience. And the umpiring was a whole lot better than we have around here. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry I did. It was terrific. 11 minutes after 5 o'clock at Sports Radio 960. WSBT was mainly good because there was no show umps. It was just them calling balls and strikes. It was kind of refreshing. All right, coming up on the program this evening, a chance to catch up with Fighting Irish Hockey Coach Jeff Jackson. In the 4 o'clock hour, I spent a little time on FaceTime with Coach Jackson and recorded the interview in that capacity. He's enjoying a little leisure time right now, and the best way to talk to him was via FaceTime, thanks to Wi-Fi. So we're going to hear from Coach Jackson coming up, including I asked him about the non-conference schedule. What should we expect? And holy Toledo, it is a very impressive non-conference schedule. The Fighting Irish Hockey Team will be tested early and often. I want you to hear the interview, but I will tease you. We will play the national champions from last year very early on in the season. But Coach will run down the list of non-conference opponents, and it's a fun, fun list. It may not be fun for the coaches. It makes you want to pull your hair out with the quality of teams that we're playing. But for the fans, wow, we have some great matchups to look forward to this season. You'll hear from Coach Jackson a little later on this hour here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. We are closing in on the start of Notre Dame football fall camp. Believe it or not, we are right around the corner with the Irish getting set to take the practice field under Marcus Freeman for the first time in fall camp. And the Irish will get out there on August the 5th. That'll also be the first time we'll hear from the new head coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman, this fall. And let the competitions begin for a few spots that are still up for grabs on this Fighting Irish football team, which sort of 
in a roundabout way leads in to our Twitter question of the day that we will talk about in just a couple of moments here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, our sports beat first pitch tonight is this. Notre Dame assignment number one. Try to keep Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud under control. An extremely talented sophomore quarterback. He will be, more than likely, throughout the year, a candidate, a serious candidate, to win the Heisman Trophy. Pretty good quarterback down in Alabama land that will try to go back-to-back. But C.J. Stroud is one of the true competitions for the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Notre Dame will take on Ohio State in their season opener, September 3rd, right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The last time we saw C.J. Stroud, he was putting forth a remarkable come-from-behind performance against the Utah Utes out in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. Looked like Ohio State was done, and he brought them all the way back to win that football game. It was A highlight reel performance by Stroud. Now he's ready for another opportunity and trying to help Ohio State bring a national championship back to the horseshoe and Columbus. For that to happen, C.J. Stroud is going to have to be even better than he was last year. And he was one heck of a quarterback last season for head coach Ryan Day. This is a guy that truly can be a difference maker in every ball game he's involved in. 4,435 yards passing last year. 44 touchdown strikes, number three in the nation. He was picked off only six times. I refer to that Utah game. The final numbers, 37 of 46. He completed 80% of his throws. For 573 yards, six touchdowns, and was intercepted one time. Ohio State won that game 48-45 over Utah, which kind of leads me to the point CJ's going to have to be even better because the thought is Ohio State is still going to have a weakness on the defensive side of the football. Even though they beat Purdue by 28 points in the middle of November last year. The Boilermakers still put up 31 points against Ohio State. Michigan lost, I'm sorry, Michigan beat Ohio State 42 to 27. Buckeyes put up 27, but Michigan posted a 42 burger on the Buckeyes. So they've changed coordinators and they're gonna try to make that defense even better. But if the defense is close to what they were last year, it is hard to imagine that Ohio State will cover the 14-and-a-half-point spread that they have been installed as the favorite against the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. But I can understand why Ohio State is favored by that much. They are playing in their home facility, the Horseshoe. 
From the outside looking in, they see Notre Dame will be starting a quarterback who has never started a game at the collegiate level. Played last year. Even though Brian Kelly apparently doesn't remember, he was asked last week about using two quarterbacks, and he started referring to the time he did it in 2014 at Notre Dame. Coach used two last year. How easily he forgets. But C.J. Stroud is a smooth customer. Got to get him off his spot. Not a guy that's going to run a whole lot, but extremely accurate with the football. Against Michigan State, he completed 91% of his throws. 32 of 35 for 432. Daniel Jeremiah, if you followed the NFL Network, then you've probably heard from him or read some of his stuff at NFL.com. Former scout. Does great work analyzing the draft for the NFL Network. He has put out a piece on C.J. Stroud, the first quarterback that the Fighting Irish will face this season. Let me read you a few of the comments of Daniel Jeremiah. Some of the things that Jeremiah liked about C.J. Stroud includes a nice blend of size, production, and poise. Stroud has a definite feel on fade routes and over-the-top throws. He can change trajectory when needed and drop the ball right over the outside shoulder of the receiver. And Jeremiah was really impressed with his decision-making and poise on key downs and under pressure. Now, Jeremiah did mention that Stroud will take a sack when necessary instead of trying to play hero ball make that miraculous throw Isaiah Foskey that's where you come into play you're back for an all-american season you're back to improve your draft status to become a first-round pick here is a wonderful opportunity now the Buckeyes have a pair of outstanding tackles one could be a first-round pick a high first-round pick but you know what Foskey's good enough to win some of these battles against the tackles for Ohio State. Isaiah Foskey needs to tell us the flavor of chewing gum that C.J. Stroud has in that football game. He needs to know everything about C.J. Stroud for Notre Dame to have a really good chance to win this football game. Stroud doesn't get rattled, though. We saw it in the Rose Bowl. They were up against it, played under control, and brought them all the way back for the victory. Didn't play that bad against Michigan. He was 34 of 49, but did not have a lot of help. In that game, Hutchinson in that Michigan pass rush sacked C.J. Stroud four times, and that's where you hope the Irish can do some damage in this game. Daniel Jeremiah from the NFL Network on C.J. Stroud, where he needs to improve. Jeremiah points to... That Stroud is not an elite athlete and doesn't play with much creativity. He is at his best executing the play as it's designed on paper. That tells you you get him off his mark. If you force him to improvise, he's not the same player. If you allow the receivers to get off the line of scrimmage freely and get into the route on time, you give Stroud time going to be a long day but what if you can put pressure 
on Stroud and force him to move a few feet to his left, scramble to his right. Receivers are covered downfield, force him to make a tough decision. The biggest takeaway for Daniel Jeremiah, talking about C.J. Stroud, the Ohio State quarterback. This is interesting. Ohio State quarterback prospects are very difficult to evaluate. The offensive scheme is effective. The line play is solid, and the wideouts are spectacular. Those circumstances don't provide a ton of tight window opportunities for the passer. I know the NFL track record of Buckeye quarterbacks has not been stellar, but I believe you need to evaluate every player on an individual basis, and I do think Stroud has a strong skill set, and I've been told his intangibles are outstanding. He loves football, and he has a very sharp mind for the game. I remember almost two years ago when Justin Fields was going through the draft process from Ohio State, eventually drafted by the Chicago Bears. That was one of the question marks. Ohio State's system is so good. These guys always have time to throw. Elite targets. These guys are wide open down the field. How good are these quarterbacks in tighter windows? First opportunity to see Justin Fields in the NFL. It does concern you. Now let's give the new offensive coordinator for the Bears the opportunity to work with Justin Fields and let's see what he can get out of Justin Fields but it's interesting when you look at Fields tape at Ohio State there's just guys running wide open he's making the throws you give him credit but there has been a lot of question marks about Ohio State quarterbacks at the next level all I know is their system is outstanding day calls a terrific game and Stroud is extremely accurate when he's on time but again you gotta fluster him And you hope the Irish defensive line, their front, can get after C.J. Stroud in this game. Jeremiah, I can't wait to watch C.J. Stroud play. Which game? It doesn't get much bigger than Notre Dame, Ohio State, on September 3rd as the college football season kicks off. The Irish have a stacked roster, including one of the top pass-rushing prospects in the country in Isaiah Foskey. This will be must-see TV and Stroud can use this stage to show NFL evaluators how he's improved since last season. Both of these teams have college football playoff aspirations, and this game will serve as a launching pad for the winner. It can't get here fast enough. We're with you there, Daniel. How about the Irish cornerbacks? Are they ready for this opportunity? Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis coming off a tough game in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State. Tariq Bracey likely at the nickel. The younger guys like Ryan Barnes, if they're needed, are they ready to face these highly talented Ohio State wide receivers? That's the thing. You can have a great pass rush, but if these guys get off the line and get separation, it still could be a very long day for the Irish defense. But Al Groh has seen it all. Coming from the National Football League, back to be a defensive coordinator in college at Notre Dame. What a first game for Al Groh in the defense. It's just the Ohio State University and a true Heisman Trophy candidate and quarterback, C.J. Stroud. That's our first pitch for tonight. 
Notre Dame assignment number one, keep Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud under control. Isaiah Foskey, go get him. 25 minutes after 5 o'clock. Our Twitter question of the day is coming up in a couple of moments. Still to come. An off-season conversation with Notre Dame hockey coach Jeff Jackson. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Brought to you by Budweiser, Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, Pet Refuges ABC Clinic, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, and Bowlers Country Club as we broadcast live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com, on the free WSBT radio app, and now available on the Twitch app. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Halfway through the 5 o'clock hour on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. This is our Sports Beat Twitter question of the day, which is available each weekday on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. That's at 960-SPORTSBEAT. Well, before that quick trip to Canton, came up with a Twitter question of the day on Tuesday. We let it run for a few days since I was off the show. Here was the question. Who do you hope wins the rights to... Notre Dame football home games. We're talking about television. It's been on NBC since 1991. Are you looking for a change? Maybe you're wanting a change because of the quality of the broadcast. You're looking for different play-by-play broadcasters or analysts. There's a lot of reasons to want to change. There's a lot of reasons just to stay status quo. Story came out recently. Dennis Dodd, CBSSports.com, reported that Notre Dame, to stay independent, would need $75 million from NBC for the right to broadcast the home games. Apparently, NBC would need something else to go along with that. For example, maybe the Big 12 package to enhance their college football coverage. $75 million. Wow. For what? Six home games. Plus, maybe the Big 12 package. That's a lot. So, who do you hope wins the TV rights to Notre Dame football home games? We asked you, the Irish football fan or the college football fan, and gave you these four choices. NBC, CBS, ABC slash ESPN, or Fox, where Brady Quinn is currently employed. There was a tie for last place, and I'm shocked. I Maybe people weren't thinking about Brady Quinn being a Fox employee. There has been a push from a certain group of the fan base to have Brady Quinn be the analyst on NBC, but he has a great gig right now at Fox. Does morning radio, a part of their pregame show, right before their noon game on Fox. He's a big-time analyst for them. So I'm not sure what NBC could offer if they wanted him to add on to his duties, maybe something with the NFL, but 
He's got a pretty good gig at Fox. So I thought Fox would get more votes than this. But Fox and ABC ESPN tied for last at 10% of the vote. Coming in second place in the voting is CBS at 22%. Now, this is possible, or should I say realistic, because CBS is losing the SEC Game of the Week to ESPN in a couple of years, so their 3.30 time slot is wide open, which could work if they were interested in Notre Dame football. I'm sure they would take a 2.30 start time to have Notre Dame football. So that's why I would think CBS would be a possibility. But for those that voted, they just like the way things have been for several decades now. 58% of the vote, the winner. Who do you hope wins TV rights to Notre Dame football home games? NBC got 58% of the vote. Now, I'm in the media. I'm a broadcaster. I'm in play-by-play. So maybe I just look at things differently. But from my broadcaster media standpoint, NBC is last in my book. I think CBS presents a terrific college football presentation for you, the college football fan, with their SEC game. Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson are a terrific college football broadcast duo. And they have done a terrific job. Nestler's taken over for Vern Lundquist, who is great. I think the presentation for CBS is terrific. So CBS would be my first choice. Second would be ABC ESPN. I'm not sure it would be Fowler and Herbstreet doing the games. They're probably going to stick more to the national game of the week. But again, I think in terms of promoting the product, when a game is not on, nobody could match what ESPN would do with the Notre Dame package. We all know they promote heavily what they have their hands on. And you look at the SEC network, the ACC network, they obviously push the SEC football teams, whether they like to admit it or not, But if you had Notre Dame home games on an ABC ESPN platform, you would get a heck of a lot more Notre Dame football coverage. It's not like they don't cover them, but I think it would increase. So I think that is intriguing in itself. So that would be my second choice. Fox, their college package is okay. I don't think it's anything glamorous. It's pretty close to NBC. I just put Fox ahead of NBC because of the likely broadcast team that's rumored to be coming to NBC is just so extremely unimpressive that I put NBC last. If you have Jack Collinsworth and Jason Garrett as the broadcast team as rumored to be, that is a massive step down from Tariko Dungy and Tariko Breeze. So if that is all you're going to put into your product, that's why they're fourth in my book. So CBS would be my choice. They got 22% of the vote. But you, the football fan, says, you know what? Leave things the way they are. NBC at 58% of the vote. Let's get to today's question. 
Our Sports Beat Twitter question of the day. It is available right now on my Twitter account at 960 Sports Beat. Today's question Which Notre Dame quarterback competition do you believe is the closest? Here are your two choices The battle for the number one spot, if you want to call it a battle, Tyler Buckner versus Drew Pine. Or is the competition closer between the two guys battling for number two, Pine and Steve Angeli? We'd love for you to vote. The question is up for vote right now. Again, on Twitter, at 960 Sportsbeat. Which Notre Dame quarterback competition do you believe is the closest? Buckner versus Pine for number one. Pine versus Angeli for number two. Look forward to passing along the results and having a conversation about that question on tomorrow's Budweiser's Weekday Sportsbeat. 538 is our time. Coming up next, an off-season conversation with Notre Dame hockey coach Jeff Jackson. We talk about guys coming in from the transfer portal, what to expect this year, some former players, and also what to expect on the non-conference schedule. It is a packed non-conference schedule, to say the least. That conversation is coming up next on your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett, joined by the head coach of the Fighting Irish hockey team, Jeff Jackson. Coach, always good to talk to you. How's your summer going? Uh, it's flying by, as usual. Uh, just trying to get a little R&R before uh, we go full throttle here in a few weeks. Well, let's just talk for a moment about the team you've assembled for the upcoming season. I know the transfer portal is something you used to your advantage last year, bringing in guys like Goleida and, and Karashek, among others, and you've dipped back into the transfer portal once again. I guess, what was your goal going into the offseason using the transfer portal? Well, a big part of it is, you know, who's available. And we, uh, when we lost a few recruits in, in the fall, you know, we made the decision that, that we instead of trying to find players of a high caliber uh, that are younger is to just wait until, you know, the transfer portal showed up. And, and you know, the, the players, I give uh, Andy Slaggart a lot of credit. You know, he kind of, you know, did his due diligence on, uh, you know, several different players that we had interest in. And, you know, we wanted to add a little bit, of, you know, a little bit of offense if we could find it. Um, you know, and, and obviously finding Chase Primo and and uh, Jackson Pearson up front, I think, is going to really help us, you know, with the offsets of the losses of Graham Slager and Max Ellis specifically. Uh, so hopefully that's going to help us. And then, you know, adding Ben Brinkman on the back end, along with uh, a freshman, Michael Master Domenico, we think that, you know, we, we, we don't think we'll lose too much in the back end, especially uh, bringing in not a grad transfer, but an undergrad transfer in Drew Bavaro, um, who we think is going to also give us a little bit more offense. I know from day one when you arrived, Coach, it was all about creating a really good hockey culture here. And I would assume you have such a strong culture that enables you to bring in guys into the transfer portal because it seemed like, for example, Karashek and those guys last year, it was really easy for them to fit into the team concept. Yeah, it was. I mean, and that's why, you know, you have to do your, your background checks on kids, make sure that they're going to be good fits. 
you know, we knew a little bit about Chase Primo. We knew, you know, we recruited Ben Brinkman uh, when he, before he went to Minnesota. Um, so, uh, you know, Jackson Durston's an Indiana boy that uh, played at Culver. So we had a, you know, a pretty good uh, background on him as well. So, you know, I think uh, the character check, making sure they fit into our culture is a big part of it. But I felt good about the, the leadership we had, you know, um, bringing back, uh, Nick Lieberman is going to be a, a big boost for us. And, and then also, you know, we have the two transfers from last year that are staying for another year. Both, uh, you know, Jack Adams had an extra year because of the injury he sustained uh, three or four years ago at, at Detroit's development camp and missed a whole, whole two years. And he just started showing real positive signs uh, in the second half of last year. And then Chase Blackman, also another uh, more of an offensive-type defenseman, had an additional year because even though he was a grad transfer, he graduated after three years at UMass Lowell. So those guys, you know, are certainly going to help the, the, the seniors that we have in, in leading. You know, the, the, the two guys that came in here as transfers, I think they have a good grasp of what our culture is all about as well, along with Lieberman and then, you know, between – uh, 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 Trevor Janicki and uh, Solik Bakish and you know we have uh, our, our goaltender Ryan Bischel we, we have a good junior class Jesse Lansell you know so we're going to have again we're going to be very similar to last year as far as being a little bit older which is a little bit more experienced and, and allow us to play against some of the older teams that we'll face throughout the year. Irish head coach Jeff Jackson my guest Primo is a pretty popular name in the NHL circles. Uh, his dad, of course, Keith, played in the National Hockey League. I remember the time he fought his younger brother and had to apologize to mom and dad after the fight. So you've had a lot of very familiar last names come through your program, including, you know, obviously Ryder Ralston is still in the program. Is this something that have to do with you've been involved in this game for so long that you know a lot of these dads, that there's already built-in relationships in a lot of these cases? Well, I mean, the, the, the guys that are uh, the sons of coaches or sons of NHL players, I mean, you, you cross paths, and, and let's face facts, they do their due diligence, too, before, you know, uh, like Primo coming here. I'm sure that, uh, you know, that Brian Ralston probably talked to, uh, you know, Keith Primo uh, about our program, and I know that that goes on behind the scenes, and you hope that, you know, that you get good recommendations from players that played at the highest level and coaches, you know, that are coaching at the highest level, uh, for their sons to make that decision to come to Notre Dame. I think it's not just about the hockey side of it. It is, it is about the, the, the environment here. Uh, it is about the culture. It's about the academics. There's a lot of positive things above and beyond our hockey program that, you know, that people are aware of, and especially people that are hockey people. I know the answer to this question should be everybody, but are you anticipating one or two guys, or you're hoping there's one or two guys that are going to make a big jump this season? Yeah, I think we always expect that. I mean, I think just based on the, the second half of last year, I think uh, Justin Janicki started showing signs of what we expected when we recruited him. Uh, and then, you know, his line mate, Hunter Strand, uh, is another guy that I thought took real positive strides for us uh, in the second half of last year. And the third guy of that line, even though he's a he's a 25-year-old player, you know, Jack Adams, that whole line, you know, was our fourth line for the majority of the first half of the year. And then in the second half of the year, they start moving up the depth chart. And, 
you know, by the national championships, um, I, I felt like they were our second line at times, um, you know, producing offensively and also, you know, grasping how to play without the puck. And uh, so I would expect, you know, two or all three of those guys to take a, a, a real big step. And, you know, you always hope that, you know, other guys, I think that there's still more room for Ryder Ralston. There's still more room for, um, you know, other players to take a big step. I think Grant Silinoff's another guy that we're hoping that can find a way to take another step. Uh, but I, I think that we've got a number of guys that potentially could, uh, you know, take a big step, similar to what Max Ellis took last year. You mentioned Nick Lieberman a couple of moments ago. A pleasant surprise that he's back for the upcoming season. As you look at what he might be able to accomplish this year, I think we all know that, you know, he could be a minor league hockey player right now. It didn't work out with Colorado. What can he achieve this season to not only help this hockey team, but also his future? Well, I think a big part of it's going to be leadership. You know, I think that he was a, he was a, a secondary leader last year, um, you know, and I'm hoping he takes a big step in that area, which is, you know, it's also something that's going to help in his development as a player. Uh, but, I mean, on the ice, you know, we've been talking to Nick for three or four years now about trying to find a way to be a little bit more consistent offensively, um, especially in his own end, you know, is to become a penalty killer and be willing to pay the price, you know, blocking shots or winning battles at the net front. You know, those are areas that I think are going to really help him at the next level. He's got the offensive tools. He can skate. He's got good vision. Uh, he, you know, he can shoot the puck. You know, he does a lot of good things offensively, but I think the key for him, you know, is going to be his defensive game and, and how he plays, especially in our own end. I want to ask you a little coaching question because we got into this during a press conference last year. I think there was a discussion about our penalty kill being much improved, and there was a discussion about how you, you kind of take things from different teams, and maybe you guys picked up something from Carolina. I'm wondering, when coaches call you, what is a common question or something they're trying to grab from you and your experience as a coach? I think that, you know, for the most part, especially, you know, talking to former guys that worked here that are coaching now, I think that they they know how I coach. And, you know, really, I think it goes back several years where we really started putting much more emphasis on, on the details of the game. And, you, and not necessarily skills like passing, receiving, uh, skating, puck handling. I'm, I'm talking about details about, you know, uh, some of the key concepts about protecting the puck. Uh, every player, with the exception of the goaltender, can protect the puck. The defenseman on the breakout can use his body to protect the puck, a forward in the offensive zone or off the rush. You know, puck protection has become really, really important. And uh, I think things like that, defensive sticks or stick details, uh, are really crucial. Uh, I, I call, uh, you know, to go along with puck protection, separation skills is trying to find a way to separate from a defender, from a forechecker, whatever. Um, you know, just little things like that um, are things that, you know, that, you know, we talk about a lot as a staff, but, you know, when people do talk to me about things that we focus on within our system or within the tactics of the game, it's really about the details that allow your tactics to become successful. Coach, I'm going to ask you about one of your former players just for a second, Anders Lee of the Islanders coming off ACL surgery. It looked like he really refound his game as the season went on last year. 
two-part question. First off, how many times have you had a player have an ACL injury? It's not something you hear about in the NHL very often. Yeah, ACLs are tough. Um, yeah, they, they basically cost you a whole year. Um, you know, recovery, recuperation, rehab, all that is really a big factor. And it's, it, it's, a, it's a major, you know, it's a major type of a surgery. And um, for the knee, I mean, you're basically repairing a torn ligament that controls your knee. And, you know, it takes it takes a good year to, to get acclimated, reacclimated to the game. And, you know, there's always some nervousness when you first start, you know, getting back on the ice. And, you know, it's all about those those lateral movements and your cutting and your ability to stop and start. All those things are impacted uh, by your knees and, and certainly the ACL. And, you know, I think that it's, uh, it's, it's the devastating injury. I mean, you know, major injuries for hockey probably are all tied to the knees uh, and, and, and the shoulders and the head now. Uh, stole like any injuries to, to those those specific areas you know they're generally some time uh, for recuperation but the knee is probably the most prevalent take me back a decade ago Anders Lee was the sixth round pick of the Islanders if he was not an outstanding football quarterback would his draft day have been a whole lot different <laughs> in football or hockey, hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, you know. I think. I mean, his athleticism and his commitment to his body, his physical. Uh, I mean, he is a man amongst boys. He always has been, but he always worked at it. And I think because he was a football player, he might have been a little bit slow twitch muscle fiber. Um, you know, football is more a power, explosive power uh, from a standing position. He was a quarterback, so he had a little bit more as far as his, you know, the mobility aspect, but like you train differently as a football player than you do a hockey player. And, you know, I think, you know, Anders always had a little bit of a problem with his foot speed and he worked on it religiously when he was at Notre Dame. And, you know, uh, Tony Relinsky did a great job in helping him with that process. He worked hard at becoming a better skater. And like, you know, now he's, you know, he's a powerful skater. He's, he, he may not be as fleet of foot as some guys, but, he gets to the same place almost at the same time because of his competitiveness, and and he also a very smart, uh, very smart hockey player that you know used the sat to create an advantage for him as well. But you know, Anders, you know, deserves the success he's had, and you know, he's earned everything he's gotten. And you know, I'm proud of what he's done, not just on the ice, but you know, the the fact that we had three guys uh, up for the the finalists for awards for yep. you know service in the community. Uh, in the National Hockey League, three out of 32 guys, you know, says a lot to me about what Notre Dame does, you know, in, in impacting these guys in more ways than just as athletes. And, you know, that's something we're proud of. And, you know, Anders certainly deserves recognition for his uh, his contributions, not just to the game, but also to, to the community. And that's something you stress, and that's something your guys are always involved with. Here's the community. So you deserve a lot of credit for you know, putting them in position to continue to do this going forward. Now, as an old goaltender, i got to ask you about your one goalie right now, the NHL, Cal Peterson with the L.A. Kings. I'm wondering, have you seen much of him the last couple of years, how much he has developed and how close he is to being a number one goaltender in the NHL? Well, you know, he took a step backwards last year. You know, I try to follow, I try to follow his progress. You know, I think that they're waiting for him to take that next step, uh, you know, before Jonathan Quick retires. Um, you know, I, I thought he took a huge step two years ago. I haven't seen him up close and personal 
in a few years because of COVID. We didn't have our pro camp and didn't really get a chance to, to work, you know, to work with him on the ice or see him on the ice. Uh, I see him in games, you know, and I know his stats took a little bit of a, a bump. You know, he's not an 89% save yep. percentage goaltender. You know, when he was here, he was well over 92%. And, and that's what he's going to have to be back at if he wants to become that pure number one goaltender. He has the ability... You know, I, I, there's this, you know, I always have a sneaking suspicion. I mean, the mental part of his game was always the thing that I always tried to encourage him to develop, the mental toughness, the aspect of being able to drop stuff, forget things, you know, get right back into the groove when you do make a mistake or whatever. Uh, I remember after that final loss in his first year, I think it was a UMass Lowell, he broke down in tears, and yep. and, and, and it was because, because of that, and... I remember I had a bottle of white out in my, my travel bag and I gave it to him and I think he still keeps it and he needs to remember, you know, that that's the biggest part of his game is finding a way to, you know, to deal with adversity or to be able to bounce back after a poor goal against or, you know, maybe having a tough night, just having that resiliency. I mean, he's, 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 he's a mentally tough kid, but he's also, you know, he's a, he, he is, he is a, a soft kid emotionally. Yeah. Um, that's why it's so easy to get along with him. He's a sweet kid, you know, and he needs to get a little bit of a nasty streak in how he how he plays the position. I, I, I think that's a huge component to his his overall future. This is probably an answer that could take two hours, but I'll ask it and maybe you can give the, the cliff note version. But for fans out there that watch sports, hockey is so different from baseball, football, and basketball. It's pretty simple, Coach, when – you go to the draft, you get drafted, then you go to the minors or you go to the top level and from there. Hockey is so different, and I think some fans were kind of caught off guard that the Minnesota goalie left for the NHL last year, right in the middle of our season. Is there anything that can be done in the collective bargaining or any handshake agreement between college and the NHL to avoid these type of awkward situations? I think it's awkward for everybody involved. Yeah, I, I think there should be, you know, there should be more of a relationship between the NHL and, and the NCAA uh, college level. Um, I know there is in my conversations with Mike Bray. I know there is in the NBA um, with, you know, with college basketball. And a big part of that is our coaches association, you know, doesn't drive things uh, the way basketball does. And you know, I think that we were heading that direction when we first started College Hockey Incorporated, when we had Paul Kelly at the top. You know, I know that Jack Parker, myself, and Red Berenson, we were trying to push Paul to kind of take over our coaches association, and that just rubbed some people the wrong way, ruffled some feathers, and just, you know, politics gets involved, and all of a sudden, Paul's gone. And that was a huge loss to our sport. Um, when that happened, I cut ties with anything I deal with uh, anymore. I, I just focus on our program and try to stay, you know, I'm not as involved with the national level as I used to be because I am frustrated with our inability to, you know, to develop that relationship because, you know, back in the day, I mean, it had been unheard of for that to happen with Jack LaFontaine, you know, but now college hockey has gained so much respect by professional hockey that now, um, that, you know, it's not that hard for a kid to step right in and play in the NHL after just maybe one year, in some cases, not even one year of college hockey. So, um, you know, it's, it's it, it, the, the other part of it is the, 
the salary cap in the NHL is is caused college hockey players to be cheap labor. So kids get signed at the entry level, like a Max Ellis gets signed at an entry level, and all he's going to call cost the Maple Leafs really is about eighty grand a year in the American League, even though it may look look big, like eight hundred thousand um, dollars. It's usually about eighty grand a year for the year the years you're in the American League. And you do get the signing bonus over three years. So um, the entry-level contract is not, you know, that enticing. I remember back in the day when Brian Ralston signed, when he played for me at Lake Superior State, he signed for like $3 million guaranteed, and it was a one-way contract. That does not exist anymore. Um, the entry-level contract is not a one-way contract, and you're not guaranteed to make one, one-way money. So that has made college hockey a lot more um, you know, of a factor in pro yeah. hockey because we're we're able to be cheap labor to be you know to sign players to fill their American League system, and then you know after two or three years they find out if they could make it to the NHL, and if they can't, then they just go on to a new young guy, you know, fresh out of college. Two final questions for you, Coach. Finally, or one question would be: We had that hard-fought game against Minnesota State in the NCAA tournament. They won one to nothing. They're up one to nothing in the national championship game against Denver in the third period. I'm not a hockey coach. I'm just a fan and a broadcaster. It looked like they were trying to win the game one to nothing. Did they play differently against us than they tried to finish that game against Denver? You know, I think what it was is that, you know, they had not been there before. You know, they've been to the national tournament. They made the Frozen Four two years ago, and then they made the championship game last year. And I think they got a little tight when Denver tied that game. I think if we had we had a really good scoring chance yeah. in the third period um, against them, if we had scored that goal, I think we would have won the game. And it's very similar to what you know they experienced against Denver. Um, you know, it was a very hard fought game. They actually should have been up more than one nothing because they played very well in the early stages of that game. But Denver held on and. You know, all of a sudden they scored a goal and, and the tides changed. I mean, Denver took over that game. And, um, you know, I think that's just, you know, the big moment in, in going through that. We've gone through that in the Frozen Four as well, um, getting into that big moment and, and not being able to, to handle it. Um, the only team that overcame those kind of odds was the uh, Cardiac Kids. Uh, finding a way to, you know, elevate the big moment. They did it every time except for the championship game. But, uh, you know, it is, it is. It's a psychological thing, and, and being under the microscope in that big moment is a, is a challenging thing for some, some players and some teams. All right, finally, I'm not going to try to get you in trouble, so I don't know what you can say, but, but can you give me a, a little tease of maybe a couple of games that may show up on the Irish hockey schedule this year? Now, I saw BU release their schedule. I saw we are playing at BU, so I can throw that one out there. Yeah, I mean, we've got a good non-conference schedule this year. You know, the last couple of years, we, we really tried to uh, save the budget, so we played a lot of t- games at home of, against teams that are willing to come uh, for a guarantee, uh, but now we're back into a normal situation, so we want to try to play some better teams. We're in the icebreaker to start the year, so we start the season off against the national champions uh, at Denver, and then we play Air Force the second night. Um, we, we have Western Michigan home and home. Uh, we have Northern Michigan for a pair of games at home, hmm. and um, we also have Alaska coming in again uh, over New Year's uh, for a pair of games. And then we also go to Boston university, 
uh, followed by Boston College uh, that that following Friday night. So we played Wednesday, Friday against BU and BC. So that's to get BU to come back to our building, and then we always have the single game against Boston College. Is the icebreaker in Denver? Yeah, but it's at Denver and at Air Force. Oh, okay. Very good. We're co-hosts. Wow, that is a heck of a schedule. We haven't even talked about the Big Ten where every game's difficult. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It could be a challenging year for us. We're going to have to take advantage when we have the opportunity because yeah. there's not going to be many soft games if there's any. Coach, thanks for doing this. Always great to catch up with you. I, I hope the fish are biting well up there in the north, and we look forward to getting you back here in South Bend as I know the hockey season will be here before we know it. Yeah, it's right around the corner, and I'm looking forward to another great year. All right. Coach, thank you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Darren. Take care. All right. You can listen to Budweiser's weekday sports beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 27 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960. WSBT brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. Also being brought to you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Pet Refuge's ABC Clinic. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. And this week by Bowlers Country Club. Great to have you with us on this Monday evening. Earlier in the program, an extensive conversation with Notre Dame hockey coach Jeff Jackson. You can check out that interview anytime at WSBTradio.com. It's available on the WSBT radio app. Had a good conversation about the hockey team. A look at the schedule that should be released here very, very soon. But the Irish are going to open against the defending national champions, the Denver Pioneers out in Denver in the Icebreaker Tournament, then a game at Air Force in Colorado Springs. Also matchups on the road against BU and BC. And let's see, Western Michigan, a home-and-home series, so good to have the Broncos back on the schedule. Northern Michigan and Alaska will be coming to the Compton Family Ice Arena. And the schedule should be out in the next few days, a little birdie told me so Irish hockey fans your schedule should be coming out very very soon all right 25 minutes in front of seven o'clock at sports radio 960 WSBT one question five answers this is the my five questions of the day on sports radio 960 WSBT here we go with today's question who had the best weekend Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. Coming in at number five, every golf shoe manufacturer except FootJoy. FootJoy had a little bit of a rough weekend. Scott Piercy was front and center in the 3M Open up in Minneapolis. The stop on the PGA Tour had an eight-shot lead at one point on Saturday. Ended up losing the golf tournament as Tony Finau came from five down with ten to play to win the championship. But Piercy made headlines because he finished his third round. It had to have been, what, 10-11 holes, something like that, with his 
right shoe in his hand after every golf shot. He'd walk to the next tee or his next shot without one shoe on. Well, he suffered from a blister on his right heel during the third round. In between shots, he's just carrying the shoe around. Not a great look as, of course, CBS would take shots of his feet, and there's the FootJoy logo. Not all their fault, but just not one of those great weekends for them. But for all the other golf shoe manufacturers, they're probably saying, come on down. We'll take care of you. We're not going to give you any blisters with our equipment. Four. Coming in at number four, the Toronto Blue Jays. They won all three games at Fenway Park after the All-Star break against the Red Sox, dropping Boston to the 500 mark. The total score in the series, Blue Jays 40, Red Sox 10. That includes their first game after the All-Star break was a 28-5 win over Boston. I was sitting in a sports bar in Canton, and that was one of the games that was on you look up, and it's 14 runs, and it's only the fifth inning. It would get worse. 28-5 to the win. The Blue Jays are looking good right now. After their managerial change, they have won six straight games, and they're in really good position to make the postseason as a wild card in the American League. Okay, okay. Uh... Who had the best weekend? Well, how about the seven individuals that were enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown? David Ortiz, Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, Buck O'Neill, Gil Hodges, Minnie Minoso, and Bud Fowler. Ortiz becomes the first basically all-the-time designated hitter to get voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame on the first ballot. Now, we've had guys get in like Edgar Martinez of the Seattle Mariners. He was a DH for a majority of his career, but it took him a couple of tries to get in. I think it took the voters to get over the fact he didn't have to bring a glove to the ballpark, that that's okay and you can be a Hall of Famer. Now, Frank Thomas spent a lot of time at first base, so that's a little different story. But Ortiz mainly... A designated hitter, even though there's a bit of a dark cloud over him with some PED accusations. Ortiz firmly into the Hall of Fame in his first ballot. Jim Cott pitched forever. He's a guy that got Hank Aaron out and Julio Franco out, and they are separated by 40 years in retirement. Terrific left-handed pitcher, wrapped up his career with St. Louis, where he won his World Series championship as part of the bullpen for the 82 Cardinals who beat the Brewers in that fall classic. Buck O'Neill, one of the great all-time players that it's hard to believe he did not get in until now. Negro League star Gil Hodges. He's a guy you would think would have been in the Hall of Fame already. Not the case. Minnie Minoso, Tony Oliva. Pretty good list into the Baseball Hall of Fame as seven more have been enshrined into Cooperstown. Number two. Who had the best weekend? The Chicago Bears blue jerseys and helmets. They had a really good weekend. Now, what am I talking about? Have you seen the Bears' new alternate jersey helmet combination? They're going to wear it against, I believe, Washington Week 7 Thursday Night Football. 
we are so used to the Chicago Bears at home wearing the blue jersey and the blue helmet with the orange C logo on it. Well, this weekend, the Bears have unveiled their new Halloween pumpkin uniforms. They feature orange jerseys and an orange helmet still with that orange C on the side of the helmet. Now, I'm a big orange guy. Orange is one of my favorite colors. Growing up in Illinois, Illinois orange and blue. I'm a Bronco fan, orange and blue. So I love orange. But I don't like this orange. It just looks odd. The helmet and the jersey, both orange. It's loud, distracting. I'm not big into all the alternate stuff. If it's done right, I'm okay. Like the Bengals have now come out with a brand new scheme in which they have replaced the orange helmet with the black stripes. They went with the white Bengal tiger look, which is a really, really cool look. It's just white and black. That's very, very sharp. Bears going to orange, it's a little loud. It should be a Halloween costume. Bears have so much great history. I don't like messing with history, but we see other iconic franchises. The Packers go back to some of their old uniforms. The Steelers have that Bumblebee jersey that they wear from time to time. Oof. It's different, but apparently the fan base will purchase those jerseys, or let's be honest, they wouldn't wear them. This is all about merchandising. Like the Texans' new helmet is red. It looks really, really sharp. The Bears' orange, and again, I love orange. I'm just not sold yet. I like the tradition of the way the Bears look at home with those blue jerseys and the white and orange trim. Number one. Who had the best weekend? Let's go with a former South Bend Cub who won a Midwest League championship with the Young Cubbies in 2019, outfielder Nelson Velasquez. He's not a guy that's going to show up in top 10 rankings for Chicago Cub prospects, but he has made it to the majors, and he's making an impact. 69 major league at-bats for Nelson Velasquez. He has hit five home runs. That's a pretty good ratio. You'll have a job in the majors if you keep that up. But why he's on the list... Velasquez had six at-bats in the three-game series in Philadelphia Friday through Sunday, and Velasquez hit three home runs, including two in one game, hitting in the nine-hole. So good for Nelson Velasquez. I'm glad he is performing well at the Major League level because there is an expectation there are several high-end outfielders on the way during this Cubs rebuild. Now, we've talked a lot about Brennan Davis a teammate of Velasquez in South Bend in 2019. He's been out since April, had back surgery. Hopefully he's going to be playing minor league ball with the Iowa Cubs very soon. He'll be at Wrigley Field next year. There's some excitement about Pete Armstrong, who is right now with the South Bend Cubs, played in the Futures game. Alexander Canario with South Bend last year, first part of this year, now at AA Tennessee. Power bat strikes out a lot. He's coming along. So there's a lot of interesting parts on the way. No guarantees, but Velasquez, it's good to see him playing well right now because he almost needs to, to keep himself ahead of these guys that are surging at the lower levels. 
So those are the five individuals or groups that had the best weekend. Number five, every golf shoe manufacturer except FootJoy. Number four, the Toronto Blue Jays. Number three, the seven individuals enshrined into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Number two, the Chicago Bears, blue jerseys and helmets. And number one, former South Bend Cub outfielder, now with the Chicago Cubs, Nelson Velasquez, three homers in the series against Philadelphia. Jan Gomes even hit two yesterday against Kyle Schwarber and the Phillies who took it on the chin from the Cubbies. That is a big three-game sweep at home for Philadelphia as they are in the midst of the wild card pennant chase. 15 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. I'm Darren Pritchett. That was the My 5 question of the day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. I'm catching on the hosel, right? Yeah, right, right. Moving my head. Yeah. Clearing too early. I'm clearing too late. My swing feels like an unfolding lawn chair. The crowd is just on its feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess. Four! Please, Darren Pritchett is now broadcasting. Oh, wow! In your have you seen anything like that? On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Six fifty at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT Radio app. Our Twitch app also has our program live at the current time here in your home of the Fighting Irish Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. Our sports wagering segment, We Going to Sizzler, here on WSBT Radio. Last time I was on the air was Tuesday, and our picks went two for two surrounding the All-Star Game in Major League Baseball. I took the National League on the money line. That didn't work out. The American League won 3-2. I had under 7.5 runs at minus 110. That hit because only five runs were scored in the ball game. Didn't look good. There were five runs on the board after five innings, but the pitchers won the battle the rest of the way. I went under 3.5 runs for the American League at minus 115. That was a winner as the American League only scored three. And finally, I had the National League with the lead after five innings on the money line at minus 110. They're up 2 nothing going to the top of the fifth. And the Dodgers, Tony Gonsolin, gave up the two-run home run moonshot to Giancarlo Stanton. Byron Buxton of the Twins follow with a solo shot, and that was the difference in the ball game. So we took the loss in that five-inning wager. Now our underdog pick on Tuesday, the National League would score the first run at plus 110. That worked out well as the National League actually did put up the first couple of runs of the ball game. So for the month of July, my record is still under 527 and 29. We are plus 12 for the year. And the underdog pick is going very, very well. This should count toward the regular total, but it doesn't. Right now the underdog pick 
is five over 500 at 19 and 14. Now, I'm not going to have an underdog pick tonight because the app that I get my wagering information from is not loading here in the studio today. Obviously, the IT here in the building, they don't want me to make you money tonight, so they're making it very, very difficult on me. But seriously, I've kind of pieced together some wagers, don't have the exact numbers, but we'll do our best here with our sports wagering segment on WSBT Radio. We're going to go with the Cubbies tonight. They're in action at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates, game one of a two-game set. Adrian Sampson, he's making a case for himself for next year in the starting rotation. He'll take the mound for the Cubbies tonight against J.T. Brubaker, a right-hander for Pittsburgh who doesn't get a lot of help from his team when he pitches. He was Pittsburgh's opening day starter. I'm going to take the Cubbies on the money line at minus 135. The second selection for tonight, Rays and Orioles. Before I left for vacation, the Orioles and I were really good friends. I think we'd hit four straight games during that long winning streak. Just kept going Orioles, Orioles. It was working out. The pitching matchup does not favor Baltimore tonight as you've got Corey Kluber on the mound for Tampa Bay, and it's Austin Voth for Baltimore. So this is probably a time to jump off the Oriole bandwagon, but nah, why would we want to do that? I believe in the old St. Louis Browns, I'll take the Orioles even against Tampa Bay, so basically even money in this particular matchup. Also, I'm going with Cleveland tonight to win at Boston on the money line. That's another even wager. Please sack over Pavetta in my eyes. And the fourth and final suggestion for tonight is the Giants at Arizona. I'm going to back the Giants. They're the underdog in this spot with Jacob Junis on the mound. I'm going to say he beats Merrill Kelly tonight in the desert. So I'm going to take the Giants at plus 105 on the money line. So the four wagers for tonight, Cubs minus 135 at home against the Pirates, Orioles at home, even money against Tampa Bay, Cleveland, even money on the money line at Boston, and the Giants, a road dog, plus 105 against Arizona. Sports be brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana, hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Pet Refuges, ABC Clinic, spaying or neutering your pet is as easy as ABC. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And Bowler's Country Club inviting you to their annual corn and sausage roast this Saturday, July 30. Lots of fun for everyone. Hey, everyone. Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering, char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 